can have a seat. He is risen. Amen. Welcome. Thank you for celebrating Easter with us, my favorite day of the year. We get to celebrate the resurrection of the risen King together, and it is wonderful. It is wonderful. So if you are new with us, welcome. We are so glad you've chosen to worship with us. We want to connect with you. So um, you'll hear more about that at the end of the service on how to, but specifically, but we just want to welcome you and are really glad that you have chosen to worship with us. Hey, one other uh, thing we have to celebrate this morning, it is much, 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 much smaller than Easter, but today is our one-year anniversary for uh, Fellowship Bentonville. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's, it's worth celebrating and Although we're grateful for this building, that's not what we celebrate. Although we're grateful for Fellowship Bentonville, that's not what we celebrate. We celebrate the presence of Christ in our community and you getting to bring that presence in every neighborhood, every apartment complex, and us being able to to produce and release spiritual leaders and to be a place where people can belong First of all, to the body of Christ, we've had a number of people give their lives to Jesus this year, and that is, that's why we planted this congregation, and we have a number of people that belong to a body of Christ for the first time in a long time, people growing in their faith, people serving. Over a thousand people in our body serve and lead, and that's, that's what we celebrate. We celebrate the body of Christ being together and being a light in our community, and so we are grateful. Let me uh, pray, uh, just this prayer of gratitude. Lord, we thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your death, your burial, and your resurrection. We can't even wrap our minds, our hearts around it like we should, but we're going to try. Lord, I pray that today we would see who you truly are and we'd respond appropriately in worship. Lord, thank you for the gift of worshiping with a body. Thank you for this first year of our church. And uh, we just come with grateful hearts and gratitude on our lips. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. No other king could vanquish the war horse or silence the warrior's rage while riding the lowly back of a donkey. No other king could break the dominion of darkness, the tyranny of evil, with a reign of grace and a kingdom of peace. No other king could give his life for the redemption of rebels, his wealth to welcome the outcast. Jesus is that king, the king of glory, son of the living God. Not just another king, not just another prophet, not just another teacher. He was the one the world had been waiting for. The one to deliver us from captivity, the son of David and Abraham's chosen seed. He is the goal of the Mosaic law, Yahweh in the flesh. He is the one to establish God's reign and rule, to heal the sick, give sight to the blind, freedom to the prisoners, and proclaim good news to the poor. This Jesus was the creator come to earth and the beginning of a new creation. He embodied the covenant, fulfilled the commandments, and reversed the 
that God spoke of to the serpent, the one prefigured to Noah in the flood, the one promised to Abraham, the one guaranteed to Moses before he died, the one promised to David during his reign, the one revealed to Isaiah as a suffering servant, the one predicted through the prophets and prepared for through John the Baptist. He is the Father's Son, Savior of the world, and substitute for our sins. More loving, more holy, and more wonderfully terrifying than we ever thought possible. He is our Jesus, and there is no other king like him. He is our God, our glory, our victorious Savior. There is no other king like him. There is no other king.
There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were as white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid. For I know that you are here looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just like he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell my disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy and ran to tell the disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, they clasped his feet, and they worshiped him. 
Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. This is the word of the Lord. Lord Jesus, you are alive, reigning, ruling. And you are so good that you still allow your disciples to meet you. We're asking that this Easter uh, we might meet you afresh. That you would do what you've been doing for 2,000 years, revealing yourself to men and women and children, drawing us to your side, inviting us into a relationship with you, and then sharing the life that you have. So right now we're asking, open our eyes that we might see you more clearly. It's in your name we pray. He is risen, risen indeed. You know, we don't know exactly when believers started greeting each other on Easter uh, that way. Uh, We know that it may go back to the earliest of disciples, to the ones who really were in that first group of house churches. At least we know it goes back to a little bit before 400 AD, when it became traditional for believers to gather together And to greet one another, not with just the reality of Jesus' risen uh, nature, but with the fact that it is punctuated with an indeed. It would have been like them saying, he is risen, amen. Or if you're from Minnesota, he is risen, you betcha. You know, there's something like that. There's some kind of statement of like, you know it, and I'm banking my life on this truth. I heard recently this line, the end of a story tells you what kind of story it is. The ending of a story tells you what kind of story it is. Hey, by the way, kids, it's not just children who love stories that ends with phrases like, and they lived happily ever after. Your parents, your grandparents, they've lived long enough to know that the story gets bumpy at times. And we long for stories, love stories that we know him happily ever after. So the end of a story tells you what kind of story it is. I actually heard this a few weeks ago in the most profound of settings. I was at a funeral of a good friend's grandson. Uh, My friend Greg was the first person I met when we moved to Arkansas 33 years ago, and we have stayed friends since that time. His grandson was two years old and died of leukemia. Greg and his grandson were especially close, uniquely close. And so the family asked if he would be the one to speak at the funeral. I cannot imagine how hard that must have been. And Greg, in that steady, quiet nature of his, got up front and started this way. You know, it's the end of a story that tells you what kind of story it is. A good story with a tragic ending is still a tragic story. But a sad story with a happy ending is a happy story. And then he said, my grandson will be a happy story. His ending is a happy ending. His words are profound with hope and with trust. And Easter is the only way that my friend could say something during this time of such loss and grief. The end of a story tells you what kind of story it is. And Easter is simply this. Easter is 
seeing the end of a story from the middle of it, no matter how hard and messy the middle of the story that might be. And yet when you are in the middle of the story and the hard times roll, you can lose sight of the ending. It's happened before. I just finished reading the Gospel of Matthew. In fact, I read uh, chapter 28 this morning before church, the first service. When I noticed this uh, springtime in my personal devotions going through the Gospel of Matthew was how often Jesus, towards the very end of his earthly ministry with his disciples, started telling his disciples about his death and his resurrection before he went to Jerusalem and before that last week of his life. In fact, we see in the first two years of Jesus' life and his, uh, with his disciples, mostly they were experiencing a pretty incredibly happy story. I mean, just think of what they had seen. With their own eyes, they saw the hungry fed. They saw blind people get sight. The deaf heard. The mute spoke. They watched the crippled walk. And if none of that was impressive enough, they actually saw the dead raised to life again. Now, put on top of that, the words that they heard. They heard words that were true and life-giving and compassionate and powerful and they had this authority as though God himself were speaking to human beings. And about the two-year mark, just before, excuse me, the end of the two-year mark, just before that last Passover, Jesus, after these happy two years, pulls them together on a small group retreat, takes them up to the lush north country, and he asks them a very direct question. Matthew chapter 16, verse 15. He wants to know, what do, what do you think about me? He asked, who do you say I am? This, by the way, is the most important question every human being must answer. Who do you believe Jesus Christ really is? And Peter, no surprise, is the one who speaks first. And he says in the next verse, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. In other words, Peter, he gets it. He knows that Jesus is not just a miracle worker. He's not just a teacher. He's not just a prophet. He's not just the healer. No, Jesus is actually God's promised rescuer. A promised rescuer is the one who steps into any and all stories, no matter how tragic they are, and he makes sad stories happy. And that's what Jesus is to Peter. And so from that moment on, when Peter says this is the high watermark of the story, can't get any better than this, notice how Jesus handles it next. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And that he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. The word's important. It doesn't just mildly give him a little coaching up. It means shut down this kind of talk. Peter says, never, Lord. This will never happen to you. You see, Peter is angry. Peter's angry because Jesus inserts death into his happy story. And we know what happens with blocked goals. Blocked goals lead to frustration, and frustration leads to angry outbursts. And we can understand why Peter might respond like this. But Jesus keeps pressing the point with his disciples. In the next chapter, Matthew 17, 
when the disciples came together in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him. And on the third day, he will be raised to life. And the disciples were filled with grief. Don't you see the two normal human responses when the middle of the story uh, starts to turn very bad? It causes them to react with both, well, they're mad and they're sad, which is the same human reactions we have. They cannot see the end of the story. So for them, bad news is just simply bad news. Now, two more times before Jesus' resurrection, he's going to pull his followers, both men and women, together, and he's going to tell them of his impending death. And both times, it leads them confused and depressed. The disciples cannot see the end of the story, even though Jesus is trying to give them a foretaste of it. In fact, even after his death on Good Friday, the disciples don't understand what's going on. Matthew 27 will tell us that after Jesus died on that Friday afternoon, he was taken down from the cross. His body was wrapped in linens. It was taken to the tomb, laid in the tomb, and the tomb was sealed. And the text tells us that both of the Marys, both of his disciples named Mary, followed the body to the tomb. Why did they go there? Not because they were expecting a resurrection to happen. They came there so they could know where to go after the Sabbath was over so that their loved one could receive a proper Jewish burial. Nobody could see the end of the story. Even Matthew 27 tells us Jesus' enemies could not see the end of the story. The Jewish leaders uh, they were afraid that the disciples might steal Jesus' body because they had heard Jesus say that he would be raised from the dead. And so they go to Pilate and they ask for permission to have soldiers stand outside of a tomb that was then sealed. Pilate gives them permission to have those soldiers enlisted and placed outside of the tomb. And I've just got to imagine in my life, those soldiers thought they had drawn the luckiest duty from the whole Roman cohort. I mean, how hard can it be to keep a corpse in their tomb? And how hard can it be to keep a two-ton stone in its place? I mean, what could happen, right? The Gospels tell us that early on Sunday morning, the male disciples, the men, were hiding in fear in the upper room, trying to figure out their escape plan. The women moved in grief towards the tomb, again, not to see a resurrection, but to prepare the body for a proper burial. The point is simply this. You cannot read all of Matthew's predictions from the time Jesus talks about rising from the dead to the end of Matthew 27 without realizing that no one expected Jesus to rise. Soldiers expected a nap. The disciples expected to try to figure out a way to get back home to Galilee amidst their fear and disappointment their grief, their anger. It doesn't matter how good the story was for those three years, the ending they see is simply tragic. So this story is a tragedy because they don't believe yet the ending of the story that Jesus told them until Matthew 28, until the passage that Martha, Marcia just read uh, for us. Matthew 28, verse one says, after the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Hey, pause. Think of another time that you heard the Bible talk about at dawn 
on the first day of the week. Genesis chapter 1. Total darkness. And God wants to create life. And so he speaks, let there be light. And at dawn on that first day of the week, there was life. Well, now here we see on this first Easter morning, at dawn on the first day of the week, light comes out of a dark tomb and moves in a recreating way. The story continues. Matthew 28, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning. His clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid. For I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Don't you see what we have here? Uh, we see uh, uh, disciples saying, experiencing that everything will change on that one word. The one word is actually highlighted on the screen. He has ridden, risen. In the original language that the New Testament was written in, this is one word. And this one word has everything hinge upon it. All stories change because of this one word. Jesus Christ is risen. And now all stories can become happy stories. Even the most tragic stories move to triumph. You see, Easter is simply seeing the end from the middle of your story. And I don't know what you're walking through. Some of you I know well enough to know that the stories are hard right now. Some are at home watching online. One friend from a, a hospital bed. And it's hard. Listen, there is nothing that we will ever go through in life that a good resurrection will not cure. Every loved one you miss, you will be united with them. Every disease you fight will find its fullest and ultimate healing. Every fear you face, every grief you encounter, the depression that lingers, the anger that continues to bubble, all of that finds its peace and hope and even joy in a resurrected Jesus Christ. We see it happen in the very first disciples who encounter him. Look what happens to our first two Marys who experience the resurrected Lord. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy. And they ran to tell his disciples. And suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him and clasped his feet and they worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and, tell, go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. What happens to these first two disciples? What happens to their grief and their burial spices? They turn to great joy. What happens to their fear? They experience peace. 
all because of that one word, he has risen. Just as he said, Easter is seeing the end of the story from the middle of the story. And remember, the ending, well, it always tells you what kind of story it is. This is the good news that Jesus' resurrection brings us, and that changes everything for us, everything. How? Well, let's go back to my friend Greg. Greg stands there with eyes filled with tears and a heart filled with sadness, and he says the end of a story tells you what kind of story it is. A sad story with a happy ending is still a happy story. And my grandson's story will be a happy story. How could he say this at the funeral of his grandson? Because that funeral is not little Will's ending. Because Jesus is the resurrection. There is a new ending inserted. You see, just before the cross, Jesus visited his good friends in Bethany, which is just a couple of miles outside of Jerusalem. And Jesus was there because his good friend had died, and yet he did not go to attend a funeral. He actually went to interrupt a funeral. And before he raises his friend Lazarus from the dead, he has a conversation with his sister. John chapter 11, this is what we read. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Their funeral is not the end of their story. And then he asked, do you believe this? See, this is the ending that changes all of our stories. And the ending is simply this. We can be relifed after death because Jesus Christ is risen. And if he has been raised from the dead, he brings a promise with him that if we believe in him, that's his words, those are his caveat, if we believe in him, we too will experience life beyond the grave. So faith in Jesus' death on the cross as payment for our sin, faith in his resurrection from the dead as the conquering victory over death, believing in what Jesus has done on a bloody cross and an empty tomb, that's how we too get a new story ending, a happy story. Through faith in Jesus Christ, our story has a happy ending. The only question really left on the table is the same one that Jesus put on the table for all of us, and it's simply this, do you believe this? And if you will, Jesus says, you can take my reality and make it your promised hope. You can take my raising from the dead and make it your happy ending as well. Easter is seeing that glorious end from the middle of the story. I love a story that ends with that kind of ending. You know, I was a senior in college when I finally read C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia. They're children's books, they say. I've never met an adult who believes that. <laughs> I had an elective to burn before graduating in my senior year and decided to take a class called The Literature of C.S. Lewis. Don't tell my parents, but it's the only thing I ever learned or remembered from college. 
In the final book of those seven books, it's called The Last Battle. This is how Lewis chooses to end the adventures in Narnia that the four Pavinci children are having with their great lion, Aslan, who's the hero. This is the last paragraph of the story. You do not yet look so happy as I mean you to be, said Aslan. Lucy said, Oh, we're so very afraid of being sent away, Aslan. You have sent us back into our own world so often. No fear of that, said Aslan. Have you not guessed? Their hearts leaped and a wild hope rose within them. There was a real railway accident, said Aslan softly. Your father and mother and all four of you are, as you used to call it back in the Shadowlands, dead. That means the school year is over and your holidays are just beginning. The dream is ended. Your mourning begins. And as he spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion. But the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them down. So as for us... This is the end of all the stories of Narnia, and we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But as for them, it was only the beginning of their real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover page, the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. Easter is seeing our glorious end from the middle of our story. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Let's pray. Oh God in heaven, your life is our life. Your death became the payment of our sin. We have no sin barrier between us anymore. Your resurrection became the conquering of death. Our story will live forever, as sure as you live forever. We see you. We're grateful. Thank you for the end of our stories. Hallelujah, praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah, death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name, Jesus Christ, my Yeah.
Maybe this morning you have not been able to echo your indeed to the phrase, he is risen. You're not alone in that. The end of Matthew chapter 28, after Jesus' resurrection, he gathers those disciples to Galilee. And the text tells us when they saw him risen, said they all worshiped him, and yet some of them doubted. Doubt is still part of that journey. If we can help you walk through your doubts to see more clearly who Jesus is and how his life can mark your life, uh, that's what we live for. We live to help people experience the life of Jesus more. And so our prayer team over here is Dick and Connie Nervig right in front of the baptistry. If we can pray with you and listen to you as you process through what it might mean to be a follower of Jesus, that would be our joy. Some of our staff will be available as well. And then likewise, if you're here and this is your first time, do you know what a privilege it is for us that you chose to worship on Easter with us? We might be the luckiest church in town, I don't know. And so we would tell you, we tend to do this every week. Come join us. There's room around our table for you and we promise there'll even be a line in our parking line just for you. So jump on in and be part of the family. And if we can answer any questions, our Welcome and Connections team is at the community booth right outside in the foyer. He is risen, is risen indeed. Happy Easter, God bless you.